I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us on the Iwakama Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show in the world where we have conversations with extraordinary women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice to create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Minda Hartz. She's a workplace and equity consultant. She's also the best-selling and award-winning author of The Memo and Write Within. Her third book, You Are More Than Magic for Young Adults, will be released this spring. Minda Hartz is also the podcast host called Secure the Seat. Minda is a professor at NYU Wagner. She's a frequent guest on MSNBC and featured on ABC News, Forbes, Fast Company, and Time Magazine. Minda is a highly sought-after speaker for companies such as Liberty Mutual, American Family Insurance, Nike, Google, and so much more. So please welcome to the show, Minda Hartz. Thank you, Makini. Happy to be here. Thank you so, so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. I know that the ladies who are listening are going to gain so much gems from you today. So I'm just excited to jump straight into the conversation. Let's do it. All right. So I guess as an icebreaker question, I love to ask the women that come on the show, because I believe, you know, as children, we have these vivid imaginations of who we want to be and what we want to do before society or unintentionally our family starts to limit our beliefs. So I would love to know, like, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So many different things like many of us, but um, I did want to be a dentist. That was something that I, I wanted to do. I was like fascinated with like kids wearing braces and just like going to the dentist. And so, um, I, I thought that I would become a, a dentist later on in life. Did that ever happen? You know, when I did, fun fact, when I went to college my first year, I was a pre-dental major. And then as I started to get into all the chemistry, I'm like, you know what? Um, I need a new dream. I need a new dream. So I, <laughs> I pivoted. <laughs> okay. <quickly>. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So tell us like, you know, the story behind how you got to where you are today with your, you know, your passion for the work that you do as an equity consultant. Yeah, a a very long story short. um, I was in corporate America when I entered as a first generation college student, um, first person in my family to enter into corporate America. I was under the assumption that we work in a meritocracy, meaning if you work hard, then everybody gets ahead. And what I found a, I was the only black woman <laughs> at the firm I worked at. And then number two, um, 
I was working hard, but I wasn't getting ahead. Um, and so you can be working at the same place as your colleagues and still experience that workplace differently. And I felt like an outsider um, as being the only, and if anybody's ever been the only of anything, then you know that <laughs> you, sh- you can sometimes shrink in many different ways. And so I started to settle into a lot of inequalities that I was experiencing as the only black woman, only woman of color. And it wasn't until the death of Trayvon Martin where I started to think about what could Black Lives Matter mean inside the workplace? You know, that we don't just have to survive, but what would it look like to thrive and be able to create boundaries and and use our voices in the ways that our colleagues use them every day without backlash? Um, But at that time, I didn't have the answer. I just started to interrogate and investigate what that could be. And then uh, several years later, then I found myself in another work environment, again, being the only, and it was just the most toxic workplace that I had ever been in. And it started to affect my, my mental health and um, started to result in panic attacks and anxiety and depression. And it was in that moment where I just started to think, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't be the only one experiencing this. And Mm -hmm. I want to create tools that make the workplace better than I found it primarily for you know, women of color so that we can be free inside the workplace like our colleagues and not be oppressed at every turn. And so I created my company, The Memo. And then after that, uh, wrote my first book, The Memo, then my second book right within. And then um, in, uh, in April, my third book comes out for young adults. And so just creating those tools so that we don't feel like we have to suffer in silence. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Um, Dr. Brene Brown has a saying where she says, first, only different. And, she, you know, it, it's about like the pressures that come with either being the first or the only one or, um, you know, different. And usually in our case, it's one being um, a minor- minority, one, one being black, being a woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know you spoke to, you know, some of the effects that that had on you in terms of, you know, being depressed and so on. Is there you know, any advice that you would give to a woman that is listening that is, I guess, currently in a situation like that, where she's the first only different in her workplace environment? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, because I think many of us are, like you said, the first and the only and and sometimes that results in us feeling like we're different. But um, it's the system that was created to make us feel this way. And sometimes we then question ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? We think that we've done something wrong, or we have to work harder or, you know, code switch more, or wear your head differently. And, and none of that is going to create an equitable workplace, right? We've all done those things and it doesn't give us any more equity than when we began. And so the thing that I would say is you belong in every room that you enter, but not every room deserves to have you. And I think mm-hmm. as women of color, sometimes we have advanced degrees, PhDs and trying to make everything work. And some things are just not meant for us, right? And we have to decide and remind ourselves that we have options, that we don't have to fit a circle into a square peg every single time, that we can find environments that that don't just tolerate us, but celebrate us and where we can do our best work. And I think we can't be afraid to seek those, seek them out, seek those spaces out or create our own. I have goosebumps with a, you just gave like a total quotable. That'll be like the quote for the episode. Like, <laughs> you belong in every room you enter, but not every room deserves you. Yes. It takes a while to get there though, you know, because when you're in oppressive systems, you start to always 
question, question, question everything about yourself, but it's the system that's broken. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can you tell us more about the Women of Color Equity Initiative? Yes, thank you for asking. Um, in 2018, I created the Women of Color Equity Initiative because I thought it was important for us to have a space where companies can find, you know, so let me backtrack a bit. Oftentimes you hear some executives say, well, we can't find talent and there's talent out there. We all know um, we are the talent. Right? And so uh-huh. <laughs> I, I wanted I wanted there to be a space where people could come um to find candidates that uh, of interest. And so oftentimes a lot of companies will go to headhunter firms, but they already don't have diverse talent in their portfolio. And so I just have a free database that me and my team created so that women can upload their information in there. And then companies that I work with or speak at can then um, tap into the database and connect with women uh, who are interested in those roles to help create more equity um, in leadership positions for women of color. Love it. So you, you know, you, you mentioned uh, your three books. I would love to know, you know, what inspired you to write your first book? Yeah. The, the inspiration for my first book, the memo, what women of color need to know to secure a seat at the table that was really birthed from uh, at the time in 2013, I was in a very toxic workplace environment and I was reading the book Lean In at the time and by Sheryl Sandberg. And uh, I was, uh, a lot of my colleagues around me were like, this is the book for women. This is for, this is going to solve all our problems. And I really wanted to believe that. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, I got a lot of problems right now. I need this book. So I, I (laughs) read the book and I realized that there was some good information in it, but it was not talking to me. I didn't feel like it was talking to to black women. I, I definitely felt like, we were an asterisk in, in the, in the context. And I wanted to create a book that spoke about our unique challenges because not even as women, we don't experience the workplace the same. And so Toni Morrison said, write the book you want to read. And I, and that's what I did. I wrote a book that spoke to us, that centered us, that we no longer had to sweep things under the rug, you know, talk about the things that we might talk about in the group chat or we might keep to ourselves. And I just wanted there to be a safe space for us to finally be able to, to breathe. And uh, that was the reason why I created the memo. I love it. And I I love, oftentimes we may either be in a situation or read a book, like you said, where you just don't see yourself in it. You know, someone recommends something great and then you read it, you're like, ah, it doesn't resonate. (laughs) So I love how you created something um, you know, where we could see ourselves in. Um, we have women who listen to the show that have considered publishing a book. And I get asked this question all the time because I, you know, help women to self-publish. But like for you, in terms of when you wrote your books, what doors did that open for you? Just so the women who are listening understand the importance of, you know, writing your own story or having creating guides and tools as a business owner out there? Yeah, you know, um, I think that telling your story is so powerful because nobody can tell it like you. And I think we have so many stories that um, can connect with other people. And I often say that, you know, my voice is tied to to somebody else's freedom. And I'll say Mm. it to your listeners, your voice is tied to somebody else's freedom. Somebody's waiting for you to write 
the book, create the product so that they can find their voice and find their freedom. And so it's bigger than us, right? It's bigger than our business. It's bigger than our book. And um, that's why it's so important that we have to get it done. And so the thing that I would say about prior to publishing, um, having my first book published, I was doing public speaking, but I would say that my public speaking business um, went from zero to 100 real quick once I had Mm -hmm. a book. Um, Because A, I was getting a speaker fee for coming to speak, but then also um, companies were buying the book. So that's two ways that I'm making money for for, you know, mm-hmm. and adding to, to my business. And so I think it's really important that as we think about generating wealth or wealth creation is having those products, right? Having those books, rather you go traditional publishing or self-publishing, but having that content and, um, and then it positions you for, for other books and other opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so, um, for example, the memo was first released in 2019 and just this week, one of my royalty texts was bigger than my first advance, you know? And it's so you just, (laughs) you know, it's, so when I'm telling you there's, there's opportunities, you know, ways to really generate, but also helping others. And so oftentimes I think people are procrastinating on telling your story, but you know, your story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Listen, you said a girl, you said your voice is tied to someone else's freedom. You're just giving us pure quotables today. You caught me on a good day. You caught me on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your second book, Right Within, it includes advice from therapists and faith leaders of color um, on a range of ways to heal. What do you feel is like one of the most important lessons that you want readers to walk away from after reading that book? Mm. Yeah, I, I think right within, I mean, the memo was my first child, so it holds a very special place in my heart, but right within is a equally a special child and book because when many of us go through these environments as being the only or one of few, um, you don't realize how much you've sacrificed, how much being in these environments have kind of distorted your personality and who you show up as, how you see yourself and all the trauma that you've been exposed to. When I was in my former life, I worked in my industry for 15 years. There wasn't a day that I didn't go to work where I wasn't racially aggressed by some way, Mm -hmm. shape or form. And that doesn't just go away, right? It starts to dictate kind of how you show up in other spaces, not just work. And so the people that love you don't get the best of you. You don't even get the Mm -hmm. best version of yourself, the healthiest. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to dig into that. And so one of the things that um, I write about in the book is ways in which we can move forward, even if our colleagues don't do their healing. Right. So we don't have to center everything around if they go to the unconscious bias training or not, (laughs) if they Mm -hmm. if they want to be an ally today or not. Like there's things that we our healing is not tied to what they do or don't do. And so one of the the concepts in the book that I would love to share is um, something called the affirmation pyramid. And it's a five step kind of process when you're in a situation where you feel like you're being micro or macro aggressed. and It's just, you know, pausing. You don't have to respond in the moment. If you don't want to just breathe in and out. Number two, acknowledge. Oftentimes we won't even acknowledge that we've been harmed in the workplace. We've just normalized it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you may not tell your manager, you may not go to HR, but you should at least be honest with yourself about what this is. You know, you can't 
you can't conquer what you're not willing to name. So name what the harm is. Number two, you can document it for yourself because oftentimes we're questioning ourselves. But now if you have those receipts where you're documenting, Mm -hmm. you'd actually have a paper trail, right? So if you ever did need it, you could say, no, I'm not just in my feelings. This actually happened because this is what was said. Number four is redistribute the energy. Oftentimes we're ruminating on whatever was said or done to us. And that's creating chronic stress inside of our body, which leads to disease and other ailments in our body. So we have to redistribute that energy because the people who harmed us in the workplace, they're not sitting around at night thinking about us, right? Right. Like we're we're ruminating on this thing all night long and they have moved on with their life, looking at cat pictures and all kinds of TikTok videos, right? And so (laughs) we have to, we have to redistribute that energy into more healthier ways. And then lastly, affirm ourselves. I think as people of color or women of color, when we're in spaces, we're looking for one of our colleagues to be like, yeah, that was bad. We don't need anybody else to tell us that what happened was what it was. We can affirm ourselves. We shouldn't have have been exposed to it. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't have worked harder to avoid it. You know, we are good enough to deserve humanity, dignity, equity, and respect. And I think once we remind ourselves of that, then the healing can really begin. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. You're you're giving all those um, points to heal and pointing out, like, I guess the the issues. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, that just sounds like such a toxic relationship. Like, we, <laughs> like sounds like you know the relationship where you know the, the the narcissist is gaslighting you, and you have to write things down. And man. It's, it sounds so heavy and I can only imagine, like I, I really feel for anyone that has to um, experience that, but it's great that you've created these tools to help them uh, to heal from it. And, you know, you, you pointed out that regardless of whether or not the other people do their work, um, you know, it's important that you have the tools uh, to do your own healing because we can only control ourselves. Absolutely. So uh, I like, okay, so... <laughs> Why do I feel like I'm struggling with my words today? <laughs> my tongue is like <laughs> all good. So with the pandemic, it forced a lot of people to either shift or pivot. You know, some people had great success within their business. Um, some people not so much. So with the work that you do, I know, you know, after the pandemic hit, we had this whole racial pandemic. You know, did the, how did this all affect how you serve? Yeah, you know, it, it did in many ways. Um, when the pandemic hit, I probably like a lot of business owners was concerned because I make majority of my income off of public speaking. So I didn't if I couldn't leave the house, I didn't know how that was going to work. You know, mm-hmm. so I definitely was concerned. And for the first couple of months doing just a lot of paid or unpaid things. And then um, unfortunately, when George Floyd um, murder took place, then my business like catapulted in a different like stratosphere because people were finally ready. Well, dominant culture was finally ready to talk about Mm -hmm. uh, race in the workplace. And um, then I was getting the calls. But you know, the thing about it is when we are already doing the work, then people will be able to find find us. And so I'm just really grateful that I had this body of work that companies could lean on and and call on me for. And it really um, turned into turning my business around. And I've been I guess booked and busy, you know, ever since. And I'm, and I'm thankful for that, even though it's bittersweet, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, like you said, that that point of you were doing the work before it became a quote unquote trend. Um, yes. So you have, you know, the content and the work and the knowledge to make that that change and to make an impact, especially at that moment when it was, I'm going to, I don't want to use the word needed because it's always needed. Um, but like you said, when, when others recognized that it was needed. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. So what would you say is your superpower? Hmm, That's a good question. I I would say probably my superpower is, I I didn't see it as this before, but I see it now this way, but I think my vulnerability, uh, Hmm. I I really wear my heart on my sleeve in all my books uh, because I know for so much of my career, pretty much all of it, I was the strong black woman, not to say that you can't be strong and vulnerable, but I never let people see me sweat. You know, I didn't, I suffered in silence and all those things. And I'm like, wait a second, who is, who am I doing this for? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I need to recenter myself. And so I think once I leaned into my vulnerability, I I think that that has allowed me to just be an even more emotionally intelligent businesswoman. I love that. I I love, okay, so here's the thing. I'm a huge fan of vulnerability. I have always been someone who I would say speaks my deep thoughts and feelings, um, but I'm not afraid (laughs) to have those uncomfortable conversations. So I love hearing when other women, other people are okay with doing the hard work. And it's honestly, vulnerability is a strength because it Mm -hmm. takes courage to be vulnerable. It takes courage to put yourself out there. It takes courage to show up um, when others would rather, you know, sweep things under the rug and, and not have those discussions. Absolutely. So, I mean, the work that you do can be very heavy. So how do you stay motivated? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's 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 the people. I, I think about um, the women that came before us um, that use their voices and their courage so that we could be left a better world, um, a better workplace. So you think about the Shirley Chisholm's, the Fannie Lou Hamer's, you know, the um, Harriet Tubman's, I mean, they leaned into their courage because they knew that at some point there would be us here to inherit that, to mm-hmm. inherit a better system. And so what keeps me going is saying, who's going to be a beneficiary of my courage? You know, mm-hmm. what am I leaving behind so that I'm making it better for somebody else? And even on those moments where it is heavy, Um, and even being booked and busy, it's still, I am telling traumatic stories every single time I talk, right. (laughs) You know, so it's it's heavy, it's heavy. Um, but knowing that, um, I'm creating space so that somebody else can show up in their fullness in a more healthier and authentic version of themselves. So that, that keeps me going, knowing that I'm creating space for more people to, to walk in their glory. Mm Hmm. And and with all of that, I'm sure that you have to have some form of self-care routine to make sure that you are filling your cup as you are doing this work. So do you have like a self-care routine in place? You know, it's it seems to change all the time, if I'm honest, but I know that I need more consistency. But I think the one self-care practice that I'm, um, it's a non-negotiable is my standing meetings with my therapist, like Mm -hmm. that's the space where um, no matter what I'm doing, where I'm at, that I always make sure that I have that space to be able to talk and not talk or whatever the case may be. And I just think, especially for black women, we need safe spaces where we can be honest um, and not judged in any way. 
Absolutely. I like this whole show and our community is pro therapy. Um, you know, we believe that everybody should be in therapy. Um, I had interviewed a, um, a woman in the medical field once and she was like, you know, therapy is like an oil change for your car. You know, oftentimes people look at therapy as something that you should do once something is wrong, but it's actually, you know, something that should be in place to make sure that we maintain being okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that maintenance, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they could stay connected with you online, where they can learn more about you and from you. Again, thank you for having me. And the best place to go is mindahearts.com. And then you can connect with me, whatever your favorite social platform is. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so for the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom, where you just share, uh, you know, some inspiration. Um, I ask you a couple of reflection questions. And I, I joke that it's not really a rapid fire because I'm not really rapid, <laughs> but sometimes I ask you to unpack, <laughs> but um, okay. feel free to keep it to one word or one sentence. And if you're not able to, that's fine. Expand if you need to. <laughs> okay. That works. <laughs> okay. Uh, name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. I would say Audre Lorde's sister outsider. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received? Don't be ambivalent about your career. Mm. Okay. What's the worst advice you've ever received? Say yes to everything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? I would say... Healing, or it would say healing is not a one-time event, but a lifestyle. Mm. And I would say, because, you know, right now the word healing and all that is, you know, very trendy, but it takes work to heal and it's not a one and done. It's a, a constant, it's a ongoing process to our healing. But I think that to be our healthiest self, we have to start healing. Absolutely. I, I, we could go down a whole trail with that right now. Just even talking about <laughs> you know, healing for the black community, um, healing. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of us have grown up in trauma and didn't realize that it was trauma at the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're now adults walking around with trauma responses, you know, recent events included. But yeah, okay, I won't even go there. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but yes, but yes, all of that. <laughs> Um, what keeps you up at night? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, what keeps me up at night is just making sure that I'm staying true to my mission. Like I never want to get to a space where it's no longer about what I started it for. And so I'm very, always very conscious that always making sure that it's not about me or any ego, but it's about the collective. Mm -hmm. Love it. Uh, when and where are you the happiest? When I'm home, (laughs) when I'm home, Um, and I say that now because home is not just a physical space, but for me, a mental space. And so because I'm doing my work wherever I am and I'm quiet or centered is home. Mm -hmm. When you feel overwhelmed, unfocused or uninspired, what do you do? I actually pray and meditate, uh, get back to center. Love it. 
what have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family, anything. I would say probably family and friends, because I am one of those people who would like to say yes to just about everything. But because, um, you know, just my business has grown in the ways that it has, I'm not able to do that. And so creating boundaries has been the greatest gift I could give myself. Mm, Love it. What do you wish women would do more of? Say what they mean without saying it mean. Mm. (laughs) That I love. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Um, okay. So I know that you've done many interviews and I'm sure, you know, most times they're asking you about your work and, and business. Has there ever been, uh, any question that you've ever wanted to answer in an interview and, you know, something about yourself that you've wanted to share that you haven't yet been asked? Hmm. That is a good question. Um, you know, so in my books, I use a lot of pop culture and, and musical references. And um, I would say that no one has ever asked me, because I am like big on music, what's the best concert I've ever been to? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's the best concert you've ever been to? <laughs> um, I, I, I would say uh, Beyonce. Yeah, uh, Beyonce's uh, probably her formation tour, but um, mm-hmm. anything Beyonce really, but I just love her as an entertainer. I think it's just really moving. I love it. Um, I interviewed a uh, celebrity DJ and she was talking about her interaction with Beyonce and how um, just welcoming and loving as a human being she is, even with, you know, complete strangers. Mm-hmm. That's love nice it. to hear. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um Honestly, I, I want to thank you, Minda, for the work that you do. Um, because I know it can't be easy. Um, you know, I, I want to thank you for the wisdom that you share and, you know, taking the time to to join us today and, and to share your story with us. I truly, truly appreciate you. Well, thank you for your voice and thank you for seeing me. And it was a pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. And to all of you legacy leavers out there until next time, subscribe on all platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple podcast. I just want to thank each and every single one of you that continues to listen each week that helped us to rank globally in the top 1.5% of most popular shows out of 2.8 million podcasts. Um, You know, if you could think of, I'm going to challenge you today to five women that need to hear Minda's story that need to hear today's episode, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Minda at Minda Hearts. That's M-I-N-D-A-H-A-R-T-S. And you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. Continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.